0: What's up everybody? Jason Whitlock here with your reset of the week in Fearless. Uh, For those of you that have been asking, Uncle Jimmy has left to pursue other opportunities. So now you'll be hearing me on weekends uh, recapping what went on in the week of Fearless. And man, did we have a great week. We started Monday out with a real curveball. Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns get eliminated. Uh, after blowing a 2-0 series lead. And I use this as an opportunity to talk about the emasculation of black men and the matriarchal culture within the NBA. And as one of uh, my producers told me, the NBA now stands for National Beta Association. Uh, so check out this firestarter. Uh, we can stop calling Chris Paul a leader. He's not. We can quit comparing the Phoenix point guard to Isaiah Thomas. It's an insult to the Pistons' all-time great. We can move on from feeling sorry for Paul because David Stern blocked his trade uh, to the Kobe Bryant-led Lakers in 2011. Kobe couldn't fix what's wrong with the perennial locker room cancer Chris Paul is a problem disguised as a solution. We know that now after his latest postseason collapse. His NBA-leading 64-win Phoenix Suns exited the playoffs Sunday night in the most embarrassing fashion possible. The Dallas Mavericks routed Phoenix 123 to 90 in Game 7 of the Western Conference Semifinals. Phoenix trailed by 30 at halftime by 46 in the third quarter. Paul didn't make a bucket until the third quarter of an elimination game. I can't remember an alleged all-time great coming up much smaller in an elimination game, especially on a team that was favored to win the title. Phoenix led the series 2-0 before losing four of the last five games marking the fifth time a Chris Paul-led team blew a 2-0 playoff advantage. It's a record-setting standard. Paul is the first NBA player to blow five different playoff series after leading 2-0. He broke his own record. He was the first to blow four. I was once one of the people arguing that Paul is the modern-day Isaiah Thomas. I fell for his polished image and regular season act. I ignored Paul's numerous critics inside the NBA who swore that Paul's state farm-crafted good guy image was fraudulent. CP2 blow is not Isaiah Thomas. Paul is Charlie Brown, the cartoon character who can't kick a football. The playoffs are Lucy the girl who repeatedly clowns Charlie Brown by pulling the football at the last second. This Dallas series snapped me out of my Chris Paul fantasy. He's no leader. At age 37, in his 17th NBA season, he's one of the most immature players in the league. He symbolizes my discomfort with modern NBA players and culture. Both are filled with feminine energy and emotion. The NBA perfectly reflects the emasculation of black men and our cultural embrace of matriarchal leadership. As bad as Sunday's game seven was for Paul, he really exposed himself in game four. With his mother and wife seated directly behind the son's bench, Paul fouled out in just 23 minutes of action. He scored just five points in a 10 point loss. Shortly after departing the game with his sixth foul, Paul erupted on a young Mavericks fan who tapped Paul's mother's back to get her attention. Paul's overreaction caused security removed the fan from the arena. The Mavericks subsequently banned the fan from attending any more Dallas games this season. After the game, Chris Paul profanely complained that the fan laid hands on my mama. Video showed the young boy lightly tapping her shoulder. Paul said his mother and wife felt unsafe in the arena. It was later revealed the young fan jokingly offered Paul's mother a hug. Of course, corporate media and blue check Twitter defended Paul's irrational and emotional response. He's doing what black men are supposed to do, be irrational and emotional. He was defending and protecting his wife and mother. No, he wasn't. He was deflecting from his embarrassing performance. He was smearing a young white fan. He was summoning a social media lynch mob to punish a child for allegedly acting inappropriately toward his mother and wife. Chris Paul exhibited the kind of racist behavior and mindset that led to Emmett Till's death in 1955. Yes, I said it. Yes, I said it, and I don't care if it bothers you. A white man and white women completely exaggerated the behavior of Till and summoned a lynch mob and punished Till. That's what Chris Paul was doing. again, did he want What happened uh, to, to Emmett Till to happen to this young fan? No. But it's that mindset. It's the exact same racist mindset. I'm some protected person. I'm some elite. How dare someone treat my mother this way? I'm going to exaggerate their behavior and let loose on them the anger and animosity of my followers. The NBA and its players do not want to combat racism. The black players from Chris Paul to Russell Westbrook to LeBron James want to benefit from racism. They want to establish themselves as a protected class of people above others who do not look like them. Why would Chris Paul seat his mother and wife directly behind the son's bench during a road playoff game? It's arguably the most hostile environment in professional sports. Opposing fans can directly communicate with the visiting team. Chris Paul knows this. But again, Paul isn't a leader. He's a spoiled, entitled jock. He's a beta male afraid to tell his wife and mother no. He's a believer in the matriarchy. Let me make another provocative analogy. Paul's thinking mirrors the mindset of Kenneth Walker, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend. Taylor was the young woman killed when police tried to serve a drug warrant at her apartment in Louisville. Claiming the police never identified themselves, Kenneth Walker fired his gun and shot a police officer. The police returned fire, killing Taylor. So let's take a beat here, let's think this through. Walker claimed he believed intruders were trying to break into the apartment. He and Taylor arose from bed. He grabbed his gun. He and Taylor walked into the living room of the apartment to see who was at the door. Think this through. What what man doesn't tell his woman, hey baby fall back, let me see what's happening here. Let let me check this out. You fall back, you stay here in safety. I think there's trouble at the door. I got this, I'll let you know when it's good to come out. You know what kind of a man doesn't do that? A beta male, a believer in the matriarchy, someone devoid of masculine leadership qualities. What man places his woman in harm's way? Chris Paul is Kenneth Walker. Paul dropped his mother and wife into a fire, and when things got hot, Chris Paul melted down. We shouldn't be surprised. The NBA is filled with beta black males who are led by their emotions. They spend their free time getting their hair braided, placed in buns, and color-coded. When they're not at the beauty shop, they're walking down arena runways in whatever outfit their LGBTQ stylist instructed them to wear. The matriarchy rules black culture. You can see it in the NBA. You can see it in Chris Paul. Our leadership model is completely broken. Our highest level of accomplishment is victimhood. Paul achieved his goal in game four when a little white kid tapped his mama's shoulder. Paul cast himself as a victim. The sons followed his leadership. All right. I know you love that fire starter. On Tuesday, uh, we built a fire. We won't call this a full fire starter. We built a fire, though, around Joe Biden's visit to Buffalo. Obviously a terrible tragedy in Buffalo, 10 people killed, uh, but our president in chief went to Buffalo to divide the nation. And we were treated to Biden's Buffalo buffoonery. Here's how I react.
1: I call on all Americans to reject the lie. And I condemn those who spread the lie for power, political gain, and for profit.
0: So, Joe Biden uh, goes to Buffalo and immediately politicizes the act of uh, a deranged, uh, crazed, racist gunman. We've heard no reports that I'm aware of that this lunatic was connected to any uh, political organization. Uh, Joe is insinuating that, you know, he did this for political power. Uh, I just don't know if that's true. I think Joe is using this situation uh, for political power. Uh, I, I think this whole replacement theory thing that we're saying is the great motivator of this shooter, I think that that's inaccurate and or exaggerated and or Uh, The president of the United States uh, doesn't have the courage, the intellect, the willingness to address the replacement theory, let's say, and engage in that conversation other than shouting people down and saying you shouldn't talk about it. And as I I talked about this yesterday, uh, as people have tried to blame tucker carlson and fox news and conservatives for even addressing the issue of the replacement theory and and i'm going to reiterate that again today uh we should be talking about the replacement theory it's a legitimate conversation and it's not this lunatic may be inspired by the racial angle as a to that argument, that's not what I don't think is inspiring most people. There's a set of values and principles being replaced in America. And the Democrats believe, and perhaps rightfully so, and again, I I wanna put all issues on the table, they believe that they have brainwashed and convinced a significant number of black people to betray the Christian values that had defined us for a couple hundred years in this country. And they believed that black people, brown people, people of color will betray the values that made this country great. And so their argument is we've got black people on block, they're with us, they will betray these values and if we can just get more white people Christian white people out of the way, who believe in biblical worldviews, biblical principles, believe in the founding of this country being biblically inspired, if we can get rid of more of those people and replace them with people we feel like we totally control, then we can uh, install Marxism, communism, socialism, and reshape this country and get it in line with a new world order led by China and the Chinese Communist Party. And so the real argument, the real discussion that needs to be being had in a public, massive public way, led by our president, is black people, have we been so hoodwinked and brainwashed, that we're just tools of the Democratic Party, and if they tell us, hey, we're all abandoning Christianity and our religious faith, and you ain't black unless you adopt these democratic principles, if you don't know that Joe Biden is your daddy, you ain't black. And so, I'm sorry, if, if, in no, what this lunatic did is a tragedy and a disgrace, and there's, I, I don't know a human being that's not repulsed by it. But I'm gonna keep it all the way real. I'm concerned about the replacement theory. I'm concerned about the Democrats' ability to, to build a, a voting block of people who don't believe in a biblical worldview, who don't believe in the biblical founding of this country. I'm concerned about it, and I understand why other people are concerned about it, and I understand why some people see it as a racial issue because the Democrats have defined it as a racial issue. They write and talk all the time about this demographic change that's gonna empower the Democratic Party, and it's because they're saying like, Man, we got black people and brown people on lock. We will tell them what to think and they will obey. They're so dependent upon the government and since we're in control of the government and corporate media and we've got all of their influencers, all of their athletes and other celebrities on lock, we can control these people. They will abandon all of their biblical beliefs in order to support our party And so we need more of them over here, and and these people uh, coming through our southern border, we're going to control them the same way we have other black and brown people here in America, we're going to give them enough free cell phones and welfare that they'll be under our control as well. I'm concerned about that. When I look at schools, and and what, what they're teaching kids, and how all these little perverts in grade school teachers want to talk to young people about their sexuality and their gender. Yeah, I'm looking at my way of thinking being replaced, and I don't blame people for being concerned about that. Joe, I, I gotta be careful. I'll just, fall into name-calling or whatever but Joe uh, at other points in his brief speech tried to sound he he, in a very satanic move he quoted scripture and tried to pass himself off as a man of faith in parts of his speech Uh, (laughs) I mean it, it was I'm just, it it was very satanic. The devil dressed up as God and dressed up as a believer. But here's a second little sound bite from Joe Biden's speech in Buffalo.
1: But there are certain things we can do. We can keep assault weapons off our streets. We've done it before. I did it when he passed the crime bill last time. And violence went down, shootings went down. You can't prevent people from being radicalized to violence. But we can't address the relentless exploitation of the Internet to recruit and mobilize terrorism. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the America I know, that Jill knows, and most deserve the most — we, look, we're the most multiracial, most dynamic nation in the history of the world. Now's the time for the people of all races, from every background, to speak up as a majority in America and reject white supremacy. These actions we've seen in these hate-filled attacks represent the views of a hate-filled minority. We can't allow them to distort America, the real America. We can't allow them to destroy the soul of the nation. As President of the United States, I travel the world all the time. And other nations, ask me, heads of state in other countries, ask me, what's going on? What in God's name happened on January 6th? What happened in Buffalo? What happened? to ask. We have to refuse to live in a country where black people going about a weekly grocery shopping can be gunned down by weapons of war, deployed in a racist cause. We have to refuse to live in a country where fear and lies are packaged for power and for profit.
0: We have to refuse to live in a country where presidents show up at the scenes of tragedy and crab speeches for power and profit. How about that country? The the Obviously, Joe Biden, to me, calculated, and and a bit transparent and honest, we can't live in a country where black people are gunned down uh, while doing their daily routine of getting groceries and be harmed by white supremacy. That's the America he wants to live in. And I get it, and that's a great goal. But what he's also saying, because and look, what happened in Buffalo is a tragedy But those tragedies are repeated nearly every day in black communities across the country. And it's fueled by a different kind of racism, black racism against other black people. But Joe Biden will say nothing about that. All the thousands of African-Americans gunned down in black communities by other African-Americans Joe Biden doesn't care if we live in that America. All right, that was some good stuff on Biden, the Buffalo and his buffoonery. Uh, but Wednesday, probably one of my favorite fire starters, one of my favorite conversations of all time. Uh, I don't know if we got Troy McSwain in this highlight. I'm sure we have my fire starter. Uh, but Troy, my tailor from California, was kind of the star of Wednesday's show uh, because Jordan Peterson, you guys know, the best, the foremost uh, public inter- intellectual in North America, he ripped into uh, Yumi New, the blubbery beauty that uh, graced the cover of Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue and, you know, I went in to explain how the left is using people like Yumi New to establish an unhealthy culture. Anyway, check out this fire starter. It was a terrific conversation. You probably need to go back and listen to the entire, watch the entire Wednesday show. It was tremendous. TJ Moe was in studio. Troy McSwain was hilarious. Shamika roasted Troy. Let me shut up. Just listen to this Dr. Jordan Peterson misspoke when he proclaimed via Twitter that Sports Illustrated swimsuit model Yumi Nu is not beautiful. We all know beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Peterson should have said the extra plus size model is not healthy and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. He undermined a fact with a personal opinion, and by doing so, he allowed the woke to once again dodge responsibility for their real evil agenda. On Monday, North America's most honest public intellectual, Peterson, reacted to Sports Illustrated's decision to place an obese woman with a strikingly pretty face on the cover of its formerly iconic swimsuit issue. He retweeted a New York Post story picturing the blubbery Asian beauty beneath his proclamation, sorry, not beautiful, and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Twitter, of course, erupted in full outrage. A white man impolitely aired his truth about a flabby Asian fashion model. Twitter's social justice army accused Peterson of unloading a toxic vat of white privilege and white supremacy. Unafraid of a brawl, Peterson engaged his critics. He doubled down on his contention that the left wants to redefine beauty standards. He he wrote a follow-up tweet saying, it's a conscious progressive attempt to manipulate and retool the notion of beauty, reliant on the idiot philosophy that such preferences are learned and properly changed by those who know better. I wanna say this respectfully to Dr. Peterson, he missed the mark again. He botched this issue. Beauty is an opinion, and we all know opinions are like booty holes. Everyone has one, and they all stink. The left doesn't want to retool the notion of beauty. They want to retool the notion of health They want to reclassify obesity as healthy. Virtually everything the progressive left promotes is related to normalizing a culture of death, destruction, and despair. Abortion is about the right to kill babies in the womb. Liberalizing drug laws is about freeing people to self-medicate themselves into zombies. Defunding the police is about normalizing violent chaos within certain communities. Hostility towards religion is about removing hope, the lifeblood of civilization. Transgenderism is about the mutilation of God's creation. Jordan Peterson is known for speaking uncomfortable truth. He passed on an opportunity in this instance. The platform of the modern left is built on early 20th century Satanist Aleister Crowley's do what thou wilt philosophy. Crowley argued the purpose of life is for humans to align themselves with their true will. It sounds great. Why wouldn't you want to align yourself to your true will? Well, For those of us who believe in a higher power, believe our inalienable rights come from God, believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, we're taught the purpose of our life is to align ourselves with God's will for us. His vision for us is spelled out in the Bible. We're taught that our nature is sinful and we should avoid a do what thou wilt mindset and set of behaviors. Specifically, among other things, we're taught that gluttony is a sin that will harm our lives and lead to death. Let me quote some scripture for you, for those of you that are believers. Philippians three nineteen: Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Proverbs 23, 2 and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. Proverbs, uh, I believe 28, chapters, uh, verses 20 and 21. Uh, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat for, for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. For those of you who are non-believers, you don't need the Bible for evidence of the dangerous impact of gluttony and obesity. Check with any doctor, punch it into Google. Hell, you can call me. I can break it down for you. I know all about gluttony and obesity. They've been my weaknesses. The effort to normalize obesity is evil and satanic. Sports Illustrated is promoting death with its glorification of rotund runway models. Yumi Nu, foolishly believes, her ascension to SI girl is a symbol of necessary progress. Uh, she said herself, quote, I feel like we're in a place right now where people are making space for more diversity on magazine covers. It's a big time for Asian American people in media. I know. I play a big role in representation in body diversity and race diversity. And I love to be a role model and representative of plus size Asian community. I love to be a role model for the plus size Asian community, really. Really, Nu is a disciple in the D.I.E religion of diversity, inclusion, and equality. The D.I.E religion is just Aleister Crawley's Satanism rebranded in a way that makes it palatable for the masses. It's do without will. It's the seeking of your true will. Yumi Nu is a 250 pound glamour girl. She has aligned herself with her, corp- her corpulent true will. She's no different from Leah Thomas, the young man who decided his true will was to be a swimmer on the University of Pennsylvania's women's team. New is no different from Pete Buttigieg, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, who hopped in a hospital bed to pretend he delivered a baby. Yumi New feels like she's the Asian Christy Brinkley, Heidi Klum, or Tyra Banks. The reality is New is more Lizzo or Jason Whitlock, a pretty face seated atop a grossly unhealthy body. The people, lying, Two, and about, Numi Yu want her and others to die an early death, smothered in gravy, fried chicken, and Kool-Aid. Death is the point of the D.I.E. religion. Its adherents want to kill America and Western civilization by killing Judeo-Christian culture. What made America great was when we collectively sought to align ourselves with God's will for us. That's what compelled us to end slavery and Jim Crow. Men and women who wanted to be on the right side of God fought for freedom and equality of opportunity. Men and women who wanna be on the right side of a history leftist plan to write will end up standing alongside Aleister Crowley And blubbery beauties. Wasn't that tremendous? Who else is going to call that woman a blubbery beauty other than me? That's why we keep it fearless. And Thursday we stayed even more fearless. We talked about Bronny James and his uh, prom queen uh, that Twitter erupted over because Bronny James, LeBron's uh, oldest son, uh, he seemed to find him some white fruit. Uh, that he took to the prom, you know these guys, you know, Bronny's the social activist, the pro-black, soul brother number one. His son seems to love the fruit. LeBron hates the tree. Uh, LeBron's hooked his son on fame. His son shouldn't even be in the spotlight and talked about this way. He should take to the prom whoever the hell he wants. Anyway, uh, check this conversation out. I got, I got Troy here, uh, Steve, because me and you aren't dads. Uh, Troy has raised two <laughs> sons, he and his wife, uh, two great young men. Uh, Bronny James, uh, his uh, prom photos, it's not just one, his prom photos have made him a topic of discussion all over Twitter. Can we put some of those uh, prom photos on screen? Yeah, uh, Bronny James, that's LeBron James's. uh Oldest son, I believe that LeBron thinks is headed to the NBA. He's already got the right uh, kind of wife for a professional athletic career, or the right kind of girlfriend. Not, and you know, Troy, you know, I'm not hating, uh, but <laughs> people over Twitter are hating. Uh, they've had a lot to say about this, and and my take, and I'll throw it to you first, Troy, and then Steve, you you chime in. I've always disagreed with LeBron putting his kids out here in such a public way. And this was, I don't think Ronnie Jr. is any kind of real, super legitimate NBA prospect. I think he's, I think most people consider him maybe the 60th, 70th best player in his class. That's not some guy that's a lottery pick or headed to the NBA uh, quickly. But LeBron has put him, his daughter, and other people out for years, has promoted them over social media. And so now I don't think anybody should be shocked when the guy puts out his prom pictures. There's criticism. And he's been exposed to the racism of black Twitter that has been going off that this young dude went to the prom with an attractive white woman. Uh, I, I blame LeBron James for putting his kids out there as public figures uh, When when you know you'd be better. I didn't know who Michael Jordan's kids went to the prom with
2: Yeah, well Michael Jordan. We didn't have social media then it wasn't as prevalent I think part of the problem with uh, what with, with society today is that we've, we're we really focusing on LeBron, not really LeBron LeBrony James, not really his son because journalists, yourself you guys have made LeBron out to be a selfish person uh, Kobe was in the media talking we went with Gigi and he was supporting her. We
0: made LeBron out to a selfish, selfish person. Because that's god, all I you're talking about. Who?
2: You, you, uh, journalists. Oh. Journalists don't talk about all the good he does for oh kids. Oh my god Troy. Everything he does. Oh Yes. Hey, do, he does. How else do we know? Who, who told you then about the school and everything else that he, he's but done? But I mean, but it's only a bleep. You guys only talk about it for five seconds. But because we it, talk
0: about he, him as a basketball player, Troy.
2: No, but you talk about Kobe and, and what he did with the Girls Youth Academy. You guys talk about Snoop. Snoop was on the news every day for his football league, all over the internet. But you guys don't talk about LeBron James and his school, the what he, the $2.5 million he gives to the Boys and Girls Club. He built the Ali Museum in, in D.C. He built the Ali section I, who, of that. And,
0: and you, you did this all on your own research. The media didn't tell you this, Troy? No, the media told me that, but I'm, saying, <laughs> oh, you're, you're, I'm wow.
2: saying your take on that is only, but you only give it a little bit of time. Because, Troy, if we
0: sat here and opened this show or some show on ESPN, guys... Let's debate. LeBron gave such so and so many million to this school. It you would be a turn debate. the channel.
2: It wouldn't be a debate, but you guys don't don't even talk about that stuff. You don't even mention it. Well, all If the we didn't does.
0: mention it, Troy, you wouldn't know.
2: It's all I'm saying is that you mention more about Snoop the stuff and, that's interesting. We actually well, why is Snoop any more different than LeBron?
0: Steve, help me out here. Troy, I T.J. Mo and Shamika had to beat him up yesterday.
3: <laughs> Troy, I still want to buy a new suit from you because I need a new wardrobe, but come on. Troy, most of the mainstream media have been acting as quasi-publicists for him. That's all they talk about is his good works. Now, Jason, to your point, look, I, I give Bronny Jr. credit. If you don't have NBA talent, you might as well at least live the NBA lifestyle. And I, I do want to know one thing, guys. Did the two sets of parents meet each other? Because based on what LeBron has said about white folks hunting everybody, that must have been one awkward meeting as they put the corsage on the dress. I would have loved to been a fly on that wall. <laughs> yeah, I, I would Troy.
0: think they met, and I, I would think that the parents know that LeBron is BSing over Twitter, and he doesn't believe half that stuff. And, you know yeah,
2: But I think Bronny is getting is getting publicly because of his dad. I understand what you Wait, let me finish. Go ahead. He's huh? he's you guys have made his father out to be selfish, so he's you're gonna be selfishly. Oh what are, are you
0: talking? Wait, I'm talking about the media.
2: The they media made rate. him out to be a god, Troy. No, but, but Troy. when he left Cleveland and went to Miami, everybody talked about how selfish he was, how it was a selfish act. Yes. So to me, you guys focus more on how selfish he is. So when you look at his son, you judge his son. When they talk about him at the basketball game, he's slam dunking, shooting shots, and doing stuff. That's him being selfish. They, they focus on yeah, his, he loves selfish, yeah, right? his mm-hmm. selfish acts, meaning LeBron's selfish act. So all you're doing is just, is just rolling his son right in and, and just rolling down the same track. As so it's his the dad.
0: media. So the media is the one that's tweeting out all the racist stuff about him taking this white girl to the prom. I'm that's saying you guys media. are fueling it. You're fueling we're fuel, it. We're fueling You're fueling it, it By we're how you treat Lebron.
3: <laughs> Here's uh, Troy, though. Let me let me respectfully disagree again. <laughs> Here's the problem. They put up the tweet. I didn't know about the tweet until it became a story. And most there's not a single journalist out there that was really responding. Saying, wait a minute. Why are you with the Becky Beckington? And as your father got into page three of the Malcolm X autobiography, that was not happening. I would even argue that most of the perception of LeBron from the media is actually positive because much of his goodwill has been amplified, that's actually been covered. Also, him as this modern-day Muhammad Ali, that's actually been spoken about. So let, let's be honest about this. You're right. Some of the coverage of LeBron, I think, is actually unfair. But, Troy, LeBron has that's brought much of this on himself.
2: Right, but that has nothing to do with his son. So why are we talking about, why is why is everybody going crazy about his son? Because of the attention right. that you his should- father
3: has got? no no but you should ask the public you should you should ask the public that the media didn't make this a big story
0: troy you do know like this morning we talked about this right and and i talked to someone that that was like hey has he really done a good job of protecting his kids from the noise no he has not and and so Mm. Who, who is that? Because again, that's my argument that, hey, man, keep your kids out of the spotlight. This, fame is a drug, and anybody that has experienced fame should recognize it as a drug. And yes, I know some drug users, oh, they just love the high of cocaine. They love the high of weed. But I know a lot of people also that have been destroyed by their love of that high. And I see the same thing as it relates to fame. People want to be famous. Oh, I love being famous. I want to blah, blah, blah. And and like I'm suggesting that smart, self-aware people should recognize like, no, fame is a drug. It's very uh, distorting and is not healthy for you. And if I were LeBron James, like, well, I'm six foot nine, I'm a great basketball player, I'm stuck with having to deal with fame. I'm not going to pass that high on to my kids. It's no different than if you're overweight like me. Would I, would I, I would do everything I could to not pass gluttony onto my kids. And and even though eating a lot or eating, overeating and eating McDonald's or, or whatever, feels good overall it's not healthy for you why pass it on to your kids i say the same thing about fame why pass that addiction on to your kid well it's a new day in
2: the new age when i raised my kids it was different there wasn't social media and my kids were raised in a i'm not i'm not a multi-millionaire like one of the things that we talked about this morning was I said I think LeBron was wrong in where he lived, like not living in a gated community, not protecting his kids. That's true. To me, I wouldn't have put them in, in a situation where somebody could just walk up to their front door and knock on the gate. I thought that was a bad situation when he moved to Los Angeles. Um, but I think that also, I think that, that you know, it's different now. And I think that he's trying to he tried to find a connection with his kids. In basketball it's hard for a father to connect with their son it's hard enough now with social media it makes it even harder so like with my sons i had to i found a connection with one of my sons that he wanted to be a chef so we actually own a restaurant now nothing to do with my business but he came to me and said dad i don't school's not for everyone i want to become a chef so we did a restaurant together so i think that you know i'm not really i had to think about it and i'm really bringing blaming LeBron for trying to connect with his son via basketball. That was his connection. He's going to have to find a way to connect with his other kids via whatever they're into. So, you know, and that's what I'm saying. So I had to look at it a little differently as I thought about it more. I said, you know what, he's just really trying to connect to his son. And I think, and this is where it goes to the media, I think you guys are the ones that have focused okay. on it and made him out to be selfish. Troy, ahead, Steve.
0: Troy,
3: Troy I, I'll say this. Where LeBron lived in L.A., it's basically a gated community. He's surrounded by a lot of rich, affluent white people. <laughs> he, he's safe and secure there. And, and I will give you this, Troy. Uh, LeBron has been a better dad than Dwayne Wade. I will grant you that. I'll grant you that.
0: Thought we couldn't top Thursday? I hope you checked out Friday's show. Uh, it's my new favorite show of all time. And I said that twice this week. I called Wednesday's show my favorite show of all time. And then on Friday... Josh Pate came into studio. Danny Connell visited us via Skype. And we had a conversation about Nick Saban, name, image, and likeness. NIL, Nick is leaving. These guys blew my mind with their provocative takes on the whole Nick Saban deal. Woo! Friday was off the hook. We set the whole world on fire. Enjoy this. And Have a great week.
4: We are where we are because of the litigation that the NCAA gets, like the transfer portal. This is not going to change because they cannot enforce their rules, just like Nate said. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division I player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Nobody did anything about it.
0: Mm. All right, so uh, Jimbo Fisher uh, has responded. Let's, let's hear from Jimbo. It's a shame
5: that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ, and more importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. And they broke state laws that, they're, that they're, they're all money, we bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody, no rules were broken, nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out, what he does and how he does it, and it's despicable. It really is.
0: Uh, a couple of things, Jimbo. First of all, have you had any contact with Nick since? No.
5: Uh, oh, he's called. You just didn't take the call?
6: Not going to. We're done. Okay. And uh, He shows you who he is. You know, y'all had both spoken so highly of each other in the past in terms of what y'all have done in your previous relationship. So how disappointing was it to hear that from him, you know, in terms of, you know, a mentor type to you It's disappointing. Well.
5: No, it wasn't. Now, listen, you coach with people like Bobby Bowden and learn how to do things. You coach with other people and learn how not to do things. There's a reason people don't go. I went back and worked for him with opportunities. Mm. Uh. Let
0: me love give Deion platform. Sanders. Yeah, let me give <laughs> Sanders the final word here. Deion uh, quoted in USA Today: uh, "Coach Sabin wasn't talking to me. Coach Saban wasn't talking to Jimbo Fisher. He was talking to his boosters. He was talking to his alumni. He was talking to his givers. He was trying to get money. That's what he was doing. He was just using us to get where he was trying to get to." I've got a new uh, uh, term for N.I.L. Nick is lying. He's (laughs) Alabama doesn't pay players. Uh, What say you, you two experts, Uh, Danny, because you're via Skype, I'm going to let you go first. What do you Does Alabama not pay players or they're not giving name, image and likeness deals to their recruits? I
4: put out a poll today on my Twitter feed. I said, you know, do you believe Nick Saban, quote, hasn't bought a player? 91% say they don't believe him. And I think the other 9% are probably Alabama boosters who are trying to cover for him. Here's the thing, though. I don't think Nick Saban has ever cut a check for a player. I don't think he's ever given a bag of cash to a player. Because he's smart enough to know and he's got a system in place, which if you heard Jimbo, the full press conference, he alluded to where people learn from. And it's interesting that a lot of the coaches that Nick Saban named Jimbo, he named Miami. Mario Cristobal spent time on his staff. Jimbo spent time on his staff. Like those were guys that he called out that I'm sure Nick knows you know, learned under him. So he never bought a player, but Alabama definitely has. And he's got a plausible deniability because Nick Saban is a very smart man. He's not going to get taken down because of some violation, but there are people set, there things set in motion, people in place so that he can deny it. But to sit there and basically paint a bullseye on your chest the way Saban did, claiming I've always done things the right way and I've never bought a player, I think it's going to set him up to be a target now that you've already heard several players, former players, say what their offers were to go to Alabama. And I don't know why Nick Saban went down this road because I think it opens up a chance to smear his legacy as the greatest coach of all time.
6: Josh, Danny, I mean, here's the way I perceived it. So, I mean, we've all been around this game for quite a while. I almost think there's like a recalibration of sorts if these guys have been in the game for a while. And it's kind of like, like Jason, if you and I get on 65 right now and we're going south and we're doing like 78 and a 70, we don't really view ourselves as speeding. We are by the letter of the law, but we're not viewing ourselves as speeding. Now, if the crotch rocket goes by us at 110, we look at that guy and we say, that dude's speeding. Well, I'm a hypocrite. So am I. I almost think that guys, maybe even like Nick Saban, who have been in the game a long time, I think they look at what they've done for a long time as the 78 and the 70, and they look at NIL as the 110 and the 70, and he says, look, this is not sustainable. We cannot function as a sport like this. And when there's pushback, it probably almost takes him back, because he, what, what is this pushback? It's because they've, they've recalibrated what they view as acceptable and not acceptable, and it's just that what he's looking at right now happen is the whole collective world and the NIL world and it being packaged in the recruiting process Instead of once you get on campus, which is the way NIL is technically supposed to work, uh, that's a whole new world. And, man, there's so many chapters and so many layers of it that it's going to be really messy. And I'll tell you what I took away more so than them jawing at each other and going after each other's throats was they both agreed on one of the most important points in the room. And that is both of them called for federal antitrust help. Both of them called on it. You didn't hear it in the headlines yesterday because it's not sexy and not attractive, but they both said, Nick Saban, Wednesday night, Jimbo, Thursday morning. We gotta get the federal government in here because we know our governing body has no power to legislate and no power to really enforce any guidelines in this thing. And so if they get the
0: federal government
6: involved, what are they hoping? That some rules and regulations come down that govern college football? I think they're hoping the rules that are currently in place that can't be enforced under threat of lawsuit if you get antitrust protection are able to be enforced. Because right now, I mean, you're looking at an NCAA that managed to get a 9-0 SCOTUS decision slapped upside their head, which I thought was impossible this day and age, but they got 9-0 from SCOTUS and everybody, if you talk to them around the NCAAs is terrified to move on their own rules right now. So there's a thought out there that you can do whatever you want to. The cop car has flat tires on it. Drive as fast as you want to. They've got the blue lights on top of the car, but there's no threat of them chasing us. There's no threat of them doing anything to us. And they're thinking right now, the only body in this country that has any shot of helping us govern is not in Indianapolis. Unfortunately, it's in Washington, D.C. That's the hope. How realistic it is is a whole other conversation. That's the hope. Danny, one of my takeaways
0: is that particularly Texas A&M is a threat to Alabama because they reside in Texas. And all that oil money and super wealthy boosters, I don't think Nick Saban believes he can compete with that in Alabama. And so his whole system has been disrupted. And if it's just about spending money and NIL deals, he's going to lose out to Texas A&M, and in a year or two, or whenever Texas comes, to Texas. And so this is about competition more than disrespect for Jimbo Fisher or even a Deion Sanders.
4: I think you nailed it. Uh, For 15 years, Nick Saban has had a stranglehold in the recruiting scene. I mean, that was basically how he turned around Alabama was amassing the best classes year in and year out. And as great as a coach he is, I think his true legacy is being the greatest recruiter, the greatest collector of talent that we've seen in the game. And he absolutely feels threatened by that. And I think it's very interesting. Again, the two schools that he called out, Dion's one thing. I think that's just a, a kind of a throw in Here's, a, But Dion may not be at Jackson State for long. He may be somewhere else. But Jimbo at Texas A&M, you mentioned Texas. They're also playing players. He didn't, you know, they've got some incredible recruits coming. But Miami with a billionaire booster and John Ruiz, who the deal that he referenced Is one of those specifics that there were deals, there were numbers put to it, and he sees what Mario Cristobal is doing on the football scene, and I think he sees threats coming from all over the place, so I think it was one, he's trying to at least alert it so he can go back, and he even had another weird comment a week ago about we need to bring back parity, which was kind of comical because... There's never been parody in college football, especially at Alabama, where you have almost every edge that you can find in the game. So I do think there is something to Nick Saban feeling that his you know, firm grasp on having control of everything, he's losing it slowly, and he's trying to make sure that it doesn't go away completely.
0: The only thing I think – I'm going to argue for Nick Saban here a little bit and say – because you argued he's the greatest recruiter – Nick Saban believes he and his system are the greatest developers of football talent. He believes he goes and tells recruits, look, you can go there, but our practices, our system, we will make you an NFL player you can go somebody, you know, he's seen four and five star guys go other places and he says, no, drop your four or five star in my system, we'll put you in the NFL. And he, he feels like this NIL thing has just blown up his recruiting field.